Good morning, Crosswalk. Good morning, church. How y'all doing? Oh, wow, it's good to be here. It is good to be here. By the way, um, the band people, the singing, majigging people, that last song that you just played, oh, my gosh, one of my favorite. Matter of fact, I was singing it this morning. I was trying to sing it at least. I was in my car. Here's a, here's a funny story that I wasn't planning to tell. It's funny to me, right? So I'm driving, and all I'm thinking about is this sermon, right? Because I don't know if you guys know this, but Paul is one of the most difficult people to preach about. Great theologian, difficult person to preach about. It's the, like I try to avoid him like the plague. I'm not lying. But, you know, you have a job to do. And so here's a little thing for you guys to do on your way out. Pastor Paddy, go give him a hug and say, hey, dude, thanks for your hard work. He put together the whole series. <laughs> he called me a couple of days ago, and he's like, dude, right, no, a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, dude, writing this series is taking me a lot longer than other series I've written. I'm like, you think? Like, you're just, like, it's Paul. Like, I'm an ADD person, so I can recognize another ADD person, right? He's the kind of guy, like, he can't focus, right? He's just lucky that some of the stuff that, it, like, the, the little tangents are actually good material, so you put up with it. But he's the guy that he, he can't tell a story. Don't even bother. When he tried to quote him, quote him as he puts his own songs in there, I'm like, dude, that's not the lyrics. Don't change it. And he's just like everywhere. And so I'm in my car, feeling like praying to Jesus. Jesus, I hope whatever I have, I hope it's, it's enough for you. It's enough for you. And I miss, I miss my exit to come here. <laughs> I miss it. And then it says on my thing, you got 19 more minutes. And I was five minutes away. And I was like, oh, no. And I was trying my best. I was trying my best to get angry. I was. I was like, oh, but I couldn't because I was coming here. I knew I was going to get coffee, and I could ask them to make it a little special because I'm a little special like that. You know, and I knew I was going to get here and be around people that I want to be around. I've been at home the whole week just by myself and my dog. And I couldn't get mad. And I started singing. It's I won't sing it because you guys are going to leave. <laughs> but thank you for singing that song. It's an amazing song. It is good to be here, and I hope you guys survive the heat. Well, it's good to be with you. I'm going to be reading from 1 Timothy 4, chapter 1 to 10. I won't read all the reading for today, but I'll focus on these 10 verses. It's going to be on the screen but I really want us to get an idea of what's happening here. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 10. The Spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some will abandon the faith and chase after demonic illusions taught by hypocritical liars. Who writes like that? Demonic illusions taught by hypocritical liars. And this is like translation, right? Lydia will tell you, Pastor Lydia will tell you how difficult it is in the Greek these liars, Paul says, have lied so well and for so long that they have lost their capacity for truth. I didn't even know that could be possible. They forbid people to get married. That's a new one. <laughs> and order them to abstain from certain foods. Not heard of that before. Perfectly good food that God created to be eaten heartily with thanksgiving by believers who know better. Everything God created, Paul says, is good. 
and it is to be received with thanks. Nothing is to be sneered at and thrown out. God's word and our prayers make every item in creation holy. I will read that last bit again for you. God's word and our prayers make every item in creation holy, sacred. If you point this out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good disciple, a servant of Christ Jesus. You have been raised in the truth of the faith, and you have followed sound teaching. Stay clear, Timothy. Stay clear of silly narratives that get dressed up as religion. Train yourself to be godly. Exercise daily in God, a.k.a. hit the God gym. Physical training is useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both in the present life and in the life to come. You can count on this. Take it to heart. This is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. We have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially those who believe. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you because we know that when we gather together in your name, somehow we find meaning for our lives. Somehow maybe we find some respite. We find a place where we can put ourselves together again. We're thirsty for your love. We're thirsty for your message. Speak to us, we pray. Open our hearts, open our minds. In the holy name of your beloved Jesus, amen. Before I actually get into the text, I want to mention something that's been mentioned several times over the past few weeks. I think it is important for us to remind ourselves of the type of scripture that we are looking into today in this series. Like we know that the Bible is made up of different types of literature, right? Different genres. Genesis, the first chapter, that's a poem. The Psalms are songs and poetry. Leviticus, legal documents, historical documents. And the reason why we need to be aware of those things is because, well, the way you approach a poem to derive meaning from it is different from the way you'd approach a legal document, right? You get ready to go to court, you quote legal documents, you don't quote Paul McCartney, even though his songs have meaning for you. And so as we get together and as we're in this journey of studying the Bible, engaging the text, it is of primordial importance for us to understand exactly what kind of literature we're engaging with. Because it helps you see things that maybe you hadn't seen before. See things that maybe you wouldn't have seen if you didn't know that this was a poem. Or maybe it prevents you from trying to take out stuff that the text actually isn't intending to say. In regards to the, 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 the letters that we are studying, a couple of weeks ago, I think the first time, um, the first uh, sermon on this series, Paddy mentioned letters, and I was sitting there, and I know it was, you know, the letters, but as he was talking about the letters of Paul to Timothy, it hit me. I'm like, dude, I'm reading someone else's private emails. Can you imagine that? I was horrified. 
Because I thought about my letters. I thought the letters that I wrote to my wife before we got married. She was in the States. I was in Madagascar. And we had Skype and stuff, but I enjoyed, you know, my dad has this old typewriter. I'll type a letter and send to us kind of extra points, romantic points, by the way. Get yourself a little typewriter. And I thought about those letters. I thought about a letter one of my ex-girlfriends sent me to explain to me why she was breaking up with me. And I was like, ah, oh, if anybody, imagine 2,000 years from now, someone goes into some storage area, all right? Imagine the water is covered like half of Portland now, all right, 2,000 years from now, and some divers are looking down, and they see this little storage facility. They open it, and there is a letter that Euro received from his ex-girlfriend. I'd be horrified. Do you know why? Because I wouldn't be able to be there to defend myself, would I? Because there is something that happens between when the things occurred and when you get to hear about it. Because that's what we're doing. It's almost like Timothy is here and you're standing behind Timothy and he's reading the letter from his mantle and you get to kind of see over it. Like the kind of stuff people do at coffee shops. You ever done that? I never do that. I don't look over shoulders of people. All right? But that's what it is. This wasn't written for Crosswalk. It doesn't say, hey, good morning, Crosswalk Church. Here are some instructions on how you ought to behave and conduct yourself. It doesn't. It says, hey, Timothy, my son in Christ. It's an intimate relationship, and we have the privilege to kind of look over Timothy's shoulder and read what Paul said to him. And I think it's important for us to honor the distance between that intimate letter and where we are today. Right? I think it's important for us to not just respect it, but rejoice in it, because there's precisely that gap is exactly where God steps in and reveals God's self to us. That's what is called revelation, because one time you lack context, one time you couldn't really see, you couldn't really, it was blurry, and all of a sudden, you can see, God can speak, because if you went to it and immediately you could understand everything, then what type of revelation is that? What would God be telling you? It's an important reminder. Because the alternative is that we start twisting, misreading, misinterpreting the goodness of the Scripture. And so whenever we, we read the Bible, we come to it and we read it through the lens of the love of God. We read it through the lens of the character of God, which is goodness and kindness and love. And when you're reading the Bible, you're reading the Scripture, and you see something that seems like it's not reflecting love, then you're probably reading it wrong. And if you're reading the Bible and you, you can use it as an excuse to tell people mean things, to abuse people, to disregard people, to mistreat people, you've got to look at it again because... You've got to read it for the love of God, for the lenses of the goodness and the grace of the divine one who is only characterized by love in this world. You could use the Bible, and we know this, you could use the Bible to have your way in this world. You could use certain, if you know the right verses, the right chapter, if you know how to take it, you can tell people to do your own bidding. You can abuse a child and quote Proverbs. You can enslave a whole nation and quote Paul, but it's in the Bible. And incidentally, as it happens, this is exactly what is happening in Ephesus as Paul writes to Timothy. He has become aware that there are some within the community of faith 
who have distorted the scriptures, who have created doctrine that are now hurting other people. Chapter verse 1. We have been told by the Spirit that these things will happen. That people will be hurt by others within the community of faith. They were being told things that weren't true. They were being ordered to abstain from certain foods and forbidden to get married. And the list goes on. And it is hurting people. The gospel of freedom, the gospel of love that people gravitated to, that people came, they came for rest, they came for peace, they came for joy, they came for love, community. And instead, they got something else. The gospel of freedom and love and grace had become a burden of do's and don't do's and control and abuse. The good news turned into bad news. It happens. It happens because there, are, there is a chasm. And I know that some of you know here, you've noticed the chasm. The chasm between the intention of the church and the reality that is experienced within the church. Some of you actually might be here today specifically because of that. You are hoping that in this community, you might actually find this very thing that a community promises. Do you know how many people I talk to have left the church? Not because of like theological dissonance. Not because they don't believe anymore. They've left the church because it's not a safe place for them anymore. They've left the, ch they've left the church because they've been hurt. They came for love, for respite, for peace, for real joy, for camaraderie, community. And yet, they had to leave. It happens. It happens. It happened at the time of Ephesus. It happens to our church today. And our church needs to take that seriously. And that's one of the reasons I actually like this church. I'll tell you a secret. That's one of the reasons I wanted to work here. Because I know that there are people here who are intentional about working towards creating a safe place for everyone. We know that this is a difficult thing. We know that it's not going to happen overnight, but we're going to give it everything and the kitchen sink. Because we believe in the hope that all of us can be loved well and all of us can love well. And so Paul says to Timothy, yo, this is happening. Listen, you've got to say something. You've got to do something. This is not just your anointing. It is not just your, your responsibility, but you have been given the authority. At some point in the text, Paul uses, you have been given a gift. A gift to do something, to say something, to create an environment where everyone can engage with a true Christ. Not the Christ made in our own image, but a true Christ. The loving, welcoming Christ. And so he says to Timothy, hey, dude, you've got to say something. Verse 6, point this out to the community and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And before I move on here, I want to make a little, I don't know what's it called, a little appeal. If there's someone in here today who has a burden in a heart, if you feel kind of called to create an environment that will be welcoming for people, a safe place for everyone, 
If you have that desire, come and speak to your pastors. Come and speak to anyone wearing one of these. Go tell them. They'll point you to a place where you can be of some service, of, a little, you know, of some help in creating this thing. Because your leadership alone, the pastors alone, are not going to be able to do this by themselves. We need the help of all our communities. You know what kind of things need to be done for this place to be a loving community. We can only speak from our experiences. We need to hear your voice. We need to hear what God has put in your heart and try to make this hope a reality. And so see, come see one of us. We need it. But Paul, being the good mentor that he is, says to Timothy, I know I told you to go and say something and do something, but listen, don't just say anything, right? Because Paul is actually aware that the problem isn't that religious people don't like to talk. Are you with me? It's not like we don't like to say something. It's not like Christians don't like pointing things people's out, people, pointing things out to people. No, he's aware. He's the guy that spoke for so long someone actually died. Do you remember that? No, no, he's aware that the problem isn't that we don't speak enough. The problem is that sometimes we speak when we shouldn't, or sometimes we don't speak what needs to be spoken. There is a time in the life of faith for quiet study and meditation, a time to try to understand the world, your place in it, thinking through what it means for you to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Christ, but it's also a time for action. Put down the Bible and speak up. But as you speak up, Timothy, ensure, ensure that what comes out of your mouth, ensure that your action come out of a place of godliness. And he says to Timothy, as you go and do that, exercise your godliness. Train to be more godly, whatever that means. I was discussing this with my wife this week. I'm like, dude, like, what does that mean? Like, I understand what the word godly means, but what does it mean to train godliness? Godly, godliness or exercising godliness is one of those Christian words that are kind of like, I can ask every one of you here, and all of you is going to give me a different answer. And most of us are going to be right. And most of us are going to be a little bit incomplete because it's a difficult world to explain. What does it mean to be godly? A message, uh, message I, called, I called a friend this week. He's a theologian. I told him, hey, can you tell me what it means? Like, what, what do you think? I have my ideas, but hey, what do you think Paul is trying to say? And he sends me this long essay, sermon thing, and I read it. And I'm like, okay, that wasn't helpful. And it's not because... He doesn't know what it is, but it's because it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe, but it is recognizable. You have seen it. You can tell when someone has been going to the godliness gym. It's no different from when people are walking around with those t-shirts that are like, dude, like, do you want me to get you a larger t-shirt? <laughs> right? You can tell. You can't explain it, but you can see it. I saw it about a week ago. I saw it. Miranda was there. Pinati was there. And we were helping Pax load up the trailer to go and help those who were struggling to eat at the moment. It was hot. People were out there just doing what needed to be done, taking time in the middle of their day to go and do that. 
I don't know if that's what Paul had in mind, but when I look at that, I'm like, that looks like training for godliness. Don't you think? When I think about what it means like to train for godliness, to exercise godliness, I have names that come to my mind. I have people that I think about. I have places that I remember. When I was about this, this, um, this height, I was young. <laughs> my dad pastored a church, tiny little church in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Tiny little church on a tiny little island. About 30,000 people at a time lived there. Right? And, we, and we moved to this church. And the first person that came to welcome us was this guy called Uncle Sam. That's what they called him. I think his name was Samuel, but they called him Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam was this cute-looking old man with one of those potluck Adventist beer bellies. You know what I'm talking about? You know, rode a little broken bike that made noise when he came through. You knew he was coming. All right? He was the first person to welcome us. He said, hey, my name is Sam. You can call me Uncle Sam. If you guys need anything, let me know. I can help. Uncle Sam would come to church every Sabbath with his little red Bible, tiny little red Bible, and he would sit almost at the same, exact same place every Saturday. And by the time the sermon would start, Uncle Sam would be fast asleep. His little Bible on his tummy like this, you know, just sleeping. And he would only wake up somehow just before the last song begins. And he was like, <laughs> he'd wake up, right? He'll do that week after week after week. Turns out, Uncle Sam was tired because he worked six days a week. He never went to school. He didn't know how to read. He didn't know how to write. I don't even know why he had his little Bible. But he didn't. And, so, and because he didn't have an education, he couldn't really get proper jobs. And so he'd work all types of jobs. Whatever he could do, he'd do that. But every day, every day at sundown, he would take his bike and go around this little town at three different bakeries, the only three bakeries we had, and he would go and get whatever leftovers they had. And then he would drive it to this one place in the corner, which actually incidentally was a couple of streets away from where we lived, and he would give these little uh, the pastries, whatever it was, the bread, to kids whose parents couldn't afford to feed them. He'd do that every week, every day. And he'd come to church and fall asleep during the sermon. I don't know if that's what Paul had in mind or what he was talking about exercising godliness. But that's what comes to my mind when I think about exercising godliness. I think of Uncle Sam on his bike and his loaves of bread. bread. I had a story that happened in North Dakota. That's another <laughs> name that comes to my mind when I think about it. North Dakota. Apparently, there's a pastor, the pastor tells a story, he went up there to speak, but on the Sunday, the church was closed because of bad weather, and he couldn't find anywhere to eat, and he had to go find this little inn, and he's talking about how cold it is, and he's trying to come into this inn, and he, come in, he comes into this inn, and he goes to the, to, to the inn, uh, the bartender, whatever it is, right, the inn person, and he says, hey, can I have a menu? The guy's like, we got soup. He's like, what kind of Soup. Soup. And he's like, okay, I'll get the soup. Pours him some soup, and he says he's about to try to eat it. And even the, just the smell in there was just like, he's like, no, I'm not going to eat it. It's too bad. Apparently, it was so bad that just, like, he just had it there and just had his hands hovering on top of it to stay warm. He couldn't eat it because it was so bad. I don't know why that little, that little thing stayed in my mind, right? <laughs> but at some point, while he's there, someone walks in. A lady shivering cold. And she comes and she sits down. And the inn attendant comes to, he, to her and says, hey, what, what are you going to have? And she's like, oh, I don't want anything. I'm just here to just like warm up a little bit before I go back out. 
And he's like, dude, you can't be here. She's like, sorry, you can't be here. If you're here, you've got to buy something. You've got to purchase something. And she says, I don't have any money. I just need to just, I just, I'm just here for like 10 minutes. I just need to warm up real quick. And she's like near the fire and she's trying to warm up. And again, the guy says to her like, hey, sorry, you've got to order something if you want to stay here. She's like, I don't have any money. And so eventually she's starting to, to grab her jacket. And just as she does that, two people get up at the same time and start dragging, grabbing their coats too. The preacher says before you knew it, half of the people in this inn started gathering their belongings. Because they were like, hey, no, we're not staying if you're not letting this person stay here. And they start making their way to the door. And then the inn attendant says, hey, okay, 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 she can stay, she can stay, she can stay. And everyone goes back to their seat. When I think about exercising for godliness, I think about those people. People who saw a type of unfairness and said, no, I'd rather leave and go in the bin of cold than be okay with this. But I also think about the bar guy, the bartender. Because eventually, apparently, he brings soup for the lady. He doesn't just let her stay there, but he also brings soup for her. And I think about him, I think in, to some degree that's also godliness. To be able to understand that, okay, maybe they, what I'm doing is wrong, and maybe I need to do better. And I think about a lady. There she is, desperate for a little bit of rest, for a little bit of warmth, a chair to sit down, a fire to just warm up because she goes on again, before she goes on again on a journey. And I think about her, the humanity of it, being a person in need, being a person seeking something, being a person that puts yourself at the mercy of someone else, being someone who's hoping that there's someone out there that would love them well. I think about that when I think about the word godliness. I think that is the person exercising their godliness. Because as Paul reminds us, everything that God created is holy. And he's sacred. It's a difficult concept to explain. I'm sure you have your own thought about it. But I think part of the difficulty is because while it is a set of actions, speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves, feeding people who are hungry, housing people who need a home, It's more than that. While it is something that is deep within us, it's the stuff that shapes our dreams and shapes our hopes. It's the things on which we shape our values on. The kind of world that I want to see, the kind of person that I want to, what I want to be. While, while that's kind of part of it, it's deeper than that. That's why we can't explain it. It is something that permeates everything that's within us and transcends everything that's outside of us. It's the Spirit of God working in and through the child of God. And you might not be able to explain that, but you know what that feels like. You can recognize it, and you can exercise it in your own life. It's a posture. It's a way of life. In 1944, while in prison for conspiring against Hitler and the Nazi regime, 
um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian, pastor, fiancé, son, activist. He's right, writing to his friend about a book he wants to write once he comes out of prison. It's a book about the real meaning of Christian faith. I want to read you a little excerpt from it before we leave. This is him expressing what he wants to put in the book. He says, the experience that there is a transformation of all human life is given in the very fact that Jesus is there only for others. His being there for others is the experience of transcendence. It is only this liberation from self through this being there for others maintained until death that is the ground for his omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, for his godness, his godliness. And he continues and he says, faith is participation in this being of Jesus. The church is only the church when it exists for others. The church is only the church when it exists for others. Participating in the being of Jesus, I like that. That's the posture, isn't it? That's what it means to love well. The liberation from self through being there for others, to bring there for each other. Sharing in Jesus' heart, a heart that anguishes for the well-being of God's entire creation. And the beautiful thing about this letter that Paul writes to Timothy is that he is calling Timothy to be at the same time a recipient and also an agent of redemption. You will receive it, but you will also be able to give it. And though this letter is specific to Timothy, I think our church can get some wisdom from it for ourselves. I think this is also a message for our church today in Portland. A promise that we will all be able to love well. And the promise that we will all at some point be able to be loved well. This thing that we seek this desire to be who God created us to be, this place of brokenness that we're trying to heal from, the promise says it can be mended. We can be made well because everything that God has created is holy and that Christ endeavors with the community of faith to restore all of God's creation. Pray with me. Lord, only you could simultaneously heal us and use us for what is good. Only your love can turn us into people that can be loved and people that can love others. We are here in Portland 
because we want to create a community that lives for others. We want to be people that are there for each other. We want to be people that find the fullness of what it means to be a human being in a community. And so point us to where we need to go. Speak the words into us that we need to speak. And maybe we be able to love like you loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.